Hey folks, John here from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Tarmini Fenstress. She's an old friend and also the Director of Behavioral Health at Neighbor Care Health Administration uh, in Seattle, Washington. We had a good talk about harm reduction, about the uh, necessity of something outside of abstinence-based recovery programs. Um, we talked about the importance of relieving shame and guilt around not only our substance abuse, but our behaviors as well, trying to understand those behaviors and to soften, <laughs> to soften. That was the big takeaway for me was that we're here to sort of ease our way into a better life, a better today, a better whatever it is that you're trying to do. So um, yeah, finding a better quality of life. It was really good to talk to her. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tarmini Fenstress. <laughs> yes, she's a little, she's a bit much. Um, now any, so Tarmini, thank you very much for doing this. And um, it's super cool to get to uh, talk about this stuff because it's not something that I think about all the time. And, um, you know, I know that you yourself are not an alcoholic or an addict um, in in any way that I know of, but that this, <laughs> you, I don't know what that look was, but I'm just well, saying that I know of, um, yeah. but that it's interesting that you find this kind of work so fascinating and important. Where, like, where does that start? Yeah. I mean, I said I was going to do anything but this kind of work <laughs> when I decided to go to grad school because it was a little too close to home. So like my father um, always struggled with alcohol up until he passed um, mm -hmm. in major ways and like other comorbid conditions that really drove some mental health stuff later in life. Um, my sister, you know, still experiencing homelessness has some real issues with substance use. It's all through my family. While, you know, being the harm reductionist that I am, I don't usually like work around labels like you know, addiction and alcoholic so much in my own life, as you know, from our past life, um, I have definitely used things in ways that didn't like help me move towards better physical well-being um, in ways that kind of like prevented me from reaching other goals. So that stuff was all part of who I am, you know, like being where we're from, like so many folks that I love, 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 and that are etched into my heart aren't here anymore. Um, so all that stuff meant that I absolutely did not want to do this work for research. And yet I couldn't really get away from it. I met some really amazing folks. Uh, the, they were the directors of the Heart Center, which is the Harm Reduction Research and Treatment Center. Uh, and they do mostly work around alcohol and other substance use disorders, especially with folks who have experienced chronic homelessness. Um, and just kind of like got to hang out. I was doing writing groups, getting to know people. And eventually it just made sense to me um, and to you, just kind of dig into this. And so you've been doing this for quite some time then, as far as I know. Yeah, I think probably eight-ish years in like an official like PhD slash work capacity. Um, and it's been amazing. I think like not to be a total hippie, but we find healing in weird places. So in some ways, I think this work and like really trying to meet folks where they're at, including me, right? Like has allowed me to deepen my relationship with my father 
and he passed seven years ago yesterday, right? But like by reconfiguring my understanding of what was driving him, um, it's allowed me to like perceive him and who we were to each other differently. Similarly with like other people that I just love, the, it's let me find like a lot of compassion and a lot of healing. And I think that's pretty freaking magical. So I didn't wanna walk along this path, but I can't imagine life any other way at this point. And I'm so grateful for the work and all the amazing people who have like taught me so, so, so much along the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, having my father passed in 2011 and I never had a good relationship with him, not once. And it wasn't until later on after his passing, um, that I was able to find some compassion and some forgiveness and some understanding and going, oh God. Mm -hmm. So that's why you were that way. And there were certain medications that he was on that were affecting his brain in ways that I had no idea. And then go, oh, okay. So you were this human being who was trying to do the best they could. And you were slowly deteriorating, dying, and, and you were sick all the time. No wonder you were behaving in ways that you were, mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't necessarily excuse the behavior toward the child, but I now as an adult can understand that and forgive that. And I think that's huge, huge, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, that our relationship doesn't just disappear once somebody dies. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Um, so a big thing too, with harm reduction versus like the way that I, I see it as abstinence. I can't, I can't not, I can't take a drink ever again. I, I just know that ultimately that will, that will lead to a second, third, fourth, fifth. And then, you know, all the, all the self-destruction that I did for some odd years, but with harm reduction, and you talk about, again, mainly dealing with people who have experienced homelessness that, but not exclusively, right. Um, that it's about meeting them where they're at and not expecting them to change necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Or respecting the fact that the, the change should come from them and partnering with them to reach those goals. So yeah, with research, I worked mostly with folks who have experienced chronic homelessness, but I also um, have been in private practice for six or seven years before my current role, working with people from all over the place, usually around uh, substance use disorders as well. So it's not that some folks don't become abstinent, right? Like that might be a choice that people make. They don't want to use any substances anymore. Great. Seems wise oftentimes, right? But I don't come to psychotherapy or meetings or anything or any relationship with my life and decide that like that needs to be your way forward. My focus is on helping you meet your goals, whatever those may be, right? Yeah. And then encouraging you to do whatever we can to reduce harm. So doing a lot of kind of psychoeducation, like stuff around the actual substances, like here's the things we want to watch out for, you know, fentanyl right now is a big one. And now we're seeing Trank, which has, you know, pet tranquilizers within opioids and that doesn't respond to Narcan anyway. So like lots of like conversations around that. And what do you want? Oftentimes that work will lead down a path where people use less. They might not be abstinent, but if say your goal is to build a better relationship with your child, and you know that sometimes when you're using substances at a particular level, 
you struggle to kind of keep your emotions or your anger in check. Okay, once we've addressed that, then like, what do we need to do? You've named a problem. How are we going to address that? So sometimes people will decide to not drink that day or the day before, or like there will be some kind of negotiation around it, but it, the goal is building the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, <clears throat> I imagine that when you see the benefits and rewards of building the relationship in those, say, three or four days that you're with that child, and then the days that you're not, and you're like, these are the days I can drink. I would imagine, at least for me, that those benefits would would fold over into other things in my life. Now, again, I don't know that for a fact, and maybe people are quite content to, to compartmentalize it in a way that works for them, right? I, and and, I, and I'm, I just say these things because it's difficult for me to understand that um, just from my personal point of view, because I could never... I could never drink three days a week and then be sober four days a week, but also maybe I don't have, may I have a bigger problem than, than some folks, you know, that's the other part of it. Or it's driven by different things or answered in different ways. I mean, we do know, like when you look at numbers, the nerdy researcher in me, mm -hmm. tons of folks have very problematic use for a significant period in their lives. And then they kind of drop it. I mean, look at like literally every college student, right? So like something moves, there's usually another motivator and the level of use they're engaging in prevents them from reaching this other thing they're motivated for. So the, the behavioral kind of start going down as you've named though, that's not true for everybody. And that's all right. Yeah. Sometimes I think harm reduction gets conflated a little bit with like not wanting people to stop. And that's not true either. I've certainly worked with a lot of providers in my job to say like, Hey, even if I believe that folks should like have access to prescriptions and we shouldn't push sobriety, they also should have access to like evidence-based practices to address their depression or address like whatever may be driving higher use patterns. Like we don't just say, we're not going to prevent people from getting access to substances, end of story, because that doesn't feel real good, right? Like people deserve better support than that. Yeah. Um, so I think it just depends. I think the other thing I really appreciate about harm reduction is like the things that I always say to myself, like people do things for reasons, which lets me like partner with them. Like I want to know that reason. And a lot of the people that I work with are used to being judged and told that they have to change their behavior as opposed to being like, hey, I sincerely come in here believing that you probably have a good reason for doing this thing, right? Like you have your own inherent wisdom, you know what you need, it serves a purpose. Let's work to figure out what that purpose is. And if you're interested, like, is there another way that you could meet that that maybe isn't associated with other harms, right? Like, can we decrease that? Or if you're not ready to change that behavior or you're not interested, is there other stuff that we can do, you know, to keep you a little healthier around food or water, like whatever it is. Um, yeah. The biggest thing is just that folks do things for reasons. Harm reduction is political, right? So like people's experiences are different than mine. The trauma they carry is different. The way systemic oppression acts is different. And whether or not we see something as like a maladaptive behavior or like a healing pathway, Sometimes like those behaviors are serving the same goal, meaning that 
say I am living on the streets as a woman and I've been harmed a lot and I just need to get through the day like drinking a lot um, or using maybe a substance that lets me stay awake, like that's actually keeping me safe. Like it's serving a real purpose. Yeah. And if I want someone to engage in a different behavior, then I have to open up other pathways that can meet that need, that very real need for safety, right? So like, I think sometimes we problematize the behavior that somebody is engaging in instead of acknowledging the fact that our social and physical environments don't have a whole lot of paths open for folks. That makes sense. It does. It does. It doesn't have a whole lot open for folks. Um, Yeah. And you know, I've, one of the things that when people, people have asked me for help in the past and um, one of the ways in my program is like, well, this is the way that I did it. Mm-hmm. And I say there may be, and in fact, there are many, many, many other ways. This is the way I can show you. I'm not terribly interested in finding a new way because this one has worked for me. If you find something else, if you find a way to do it a different way, that's great. Let me know. I'm kind of curious. Obviously, that's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, but but I don't think my curiosity is not because I am unhappy with my path. And so I try to be very open with people because I think, too, when you start talking about, um, and this is why I like things, you know, harm reduction in different ways, is when I start talking about God or spirituality, and it turns people off right away, like right away. And I go, you know what? Let's forget about that. Ignore that whole thing. Cross that out in the book. You know, if you want to read this book with me, that's fine. Let's cross out the word God and let's move on, you know, because what's more important is finding a way to feel better today, right? Regardless. Mm-hmm. I would never admonish anyone for using or drinking if that's what and like you said it's important it's necessary it helps that's why we did it because <laughs> it was serving a purpose um and i think the stigma of harm reduction is often um that we're allowing people to that that allowing people to drink and use is supporting a I think that the stigma is that it's supporting a a negative lifestyle when in fact, this is a lifestyle they've been leading for a very long time. And we're looking for a way to just simply make their day better than it was. Yeah, I like it, you know? (laughs) No, really and truly though. I mean, that's about seeing the whole person and saying that no matter what behavior you're engaging in, you have value and worth and goals, right? Mm Because not everyone gets to hear that all the time. It's also pragmatic. Like, as you said, like maybe you have a tougher issue with alcohol than other folks. Other folks that I work with have a much tougher issue with the thing you do. And sobriety may not actually be a safe choice for them given like the long time that they've drank and their age yeah. experience of chronic homelessness. And sometimes drinking three 211s is actually a better option for you um, than all out sobriety because people's bodies don't always make it through that right so this is like why we really as harm reductionists like come back to the harm like I want to reduce the harm and I want to partner with you to go where you want to go right like and that's it it's that simple that's the whole deal is I just believe that you are 
wise and that I don't need to come in here with preconceived ideas of like what you want to see out of your life. Is it always that easy? Hell to the no, right? Like (laughs) sometimes it's tough. People carry so much harm, you know, and that's challenging. But my job is to like really help you sit down and figure out what these various behaviors are serving, right? Like in the same way that um, if you'd like to see how much coffee and things I have in front of me, this serves a purpose. Is it my healthiest choice? No, it's not. Am I ready to give up coffee? Uh-uh. My kid asked me not to because I'm mean. So I get it. Like we make choices for really complicated reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me is the big part. The other thing is like, guess what is a great driver of harmful use patterns? What? I mean, shame and stigma, right? Like one of the highest risks of overdose, we know, right? It comes after somebody has been in an abstinence-based treatment. So they leave they, for one, their tolerance is low, right? Compared to what it used to be. And maybe they'll take one hit or have a drink. And then because they're in this like kind of abstinence only paradigm where you're either clean or you're dirty, right? They'll spiral out and like feel shame and be like, well, if I already blew it, I might as well just keep going, right? And like, then that doesn't end in a real good place. In reality, we're generally kind of spiraling up or spiraling down. it's all right that people misstep. You're still spiraling up, right? Like that's another big part of harm reduction is like, oh, I don't know how many folks come to me and are like, I blew it. I had a drink, this and that. I'm like, all right. But last week you had 15 drinks. So I'm not like, can you tell me why you feel like you blew it? Because that doesn't sound to me like you blew it. It just sounds like most of us, you weren't perfect. And I mean, and that's fine. That's normal, right? And nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah. And instead of shame, can we approach that with curiosity? Like you've told me that you don't really want to drink anymore. Sounds like you did have a drink. I'm wondering if you can tell me more about what happened around that, right? Like what was going on before? How did you feel after? Are you happy you had that drink? It's all right to tell me, like if you had one drink and your stress went down, fine. That's all right. Like, did you stop before some of these negative things happened? Yes or no. Even if you didn't, that's all right too. But like, again, let's look at the purpose that that drinking is serving and like also get real honest about what else might be occurring around that behavior Mm -hmm. Um, and then just keep moving in that direction. So I think like that's the other kind of political side of it is just making sure that we're not engaging in conversations, um, paths and beliefs that double down on stigma and shame because we know that drives so much of the behavior that we're trying to reduce the harms around. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm not, I never think that I'm above a relapse and I think about it sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that it could happen and how I would, um, how I would, uh, um, behave afterwards and the level of shame and the fact that I've been very open about many of the details of it, that how would I approach that? Right. That's that whole thing. Um, but one of the things that has kept me from when you talk about why did you have that drink and that I learned because in the, in the very beginning of sobriety, somebody would ask me like, say, Hey, do you feel like you want to drink right now? And I was like, yeah, I want to drink. What do you think? You know, and kind of snidely, 
but what it what I what it occurred to me was that it was I wanted relief from whatever the problem was, or even just the momentary feeling of of anger or frustration or sadness. I just wanted some kind of relief. And in my past life, for like I don't know, almost twenty years, like half my life, almost the drink was the relief. And so now it's like ugh, I got to find other ways to find relief, but. That's all part of this, as you put it, I like the spiraling up. So, uh, you know, finding things like running or writing or just sitting still and writing it out because it's, it sucks and it's miserable, but you know, you kind of just have to go, okay. And the craving will fade and then it's gone. And then you don't have to act on it, right? The craving and the action do not, you don't have to act on every single craving. It's going to happen. I still have them every once in a while. I'm like, God, it's a beautiful day. Wouldn't it be great to sit by the river and have a cold beer? I'm like, well, no, it wouldn't, John. <laughs> That's not what we do anymore. But the thought pops in my head. So um, relieving people of shame is probably the biggest thing that one can do. And you are right about the abstinence-based uh, uh, mindset because it definitely gets in there. And I think it was helpful for me in the beginning to have that and know that like, I cannot do that thing. Um, but as I move forward and it's been seven plus years, like the world is bigger than that. My recovery, my sobriety, my life is bigger than just that sort of, I drink or I don't drink. And so like, let's find other ways and things of uh, ways of being that don't, that aren't just based on that. And yeah. move away from it so love, yeah yeah and part of it was like figuring out what you really want right like do you want to just relieve pain momentarily relax or do you want to like really like move forward differently and like do something that's really moving that stress out like running right like mm -hmm. something that's going to like change stuff for you over time where maybe that stress doesn't hit the same level yeah but i think like another important part of that and why harm reduction is so political and why we always want to consider like those who are most impacted by like our policies and practices and paradigms is that that like internal dialogue comes usually with a particular level of privilege right so like there's a reason that abstinence-based treatments um <laughs> have terrible success rates amongst those who have like the highest level of trauma and are most impacted by systemic oppression, um, structural inequities, who have experienced chronic homelessness, because it's like, again, like those other options just aren't as readily available, right? So the other thing that you know that I spent a lot of time studying is like the idea of resilience, right? And like, if we want folks to do well in their circumstances, for one, doing well relates to circumstances, <laughs> like you can only do as well as your environment allows, and then like, how are we focusing on our job, right? Like to make environments, social and physical, that allow for people to pursue other avenues to address what, they're, what they need, right? Because like, that's the thing that I see all the time with folks like who are lonely, who are upset, who are just trying to live and like they can't, there's just not the bandwidth. And we know that ourselves, like when, I don't know about you, but like, I've been um, clean from sugar like 1500 times in my life, right? And we don't call that relapsing. Like it, our no. language around other substances is interesting. Cause let me tell you, I work 
in integrated care, like guess what's not super good for well-being? Like freaking sugar, man. It's gonna take all of us out. Yeah. But nobody gets all judgy with me. Um, but guess like the times that I rely on sugar are very similar to the times when I used to rely on tequila, right? Sugar, I can wake up and parent a little bit better. So it's not, it's different, but actually my own like cost analysis, right? Like I'm not choosing booze because I know I have to get up at 5.30 and the hangover from that is real. I'm old. Sugar still gives me a bit of a hangover, but I know that it'll give me that relief when I'm working 80 hours a week. It's quick. It's available at 1 a.m. It makes me feel better. I understand that it's temporary and I have decided in my brain, not consciously usually, but like, it's worth it. Like it's worth knowing that I have whatever higher percentage of being dead or sorry, that was terrible. But like, no, well, it's, you're not wrong. And that's, I just like to bring it to those things. Cause I feel like sometimes because of stigma and shame, like the way that we treat people who use substances that are illegal or illicit. And let me tell you, there's whole, we could get into a whole thing around how like racism plays into this and like, all this different stuff around what gets judged and what doesn't. We don't use that same language or even acknowledge the fact that like, we suck at picking healthy behaviors, America. Like, give me a freaking break. So like, you wanna do this abstinence only shit stuff. Um, you wanna judge people for not being perfect all the time. And yet like never own up to the fact that a majority of us eat crappy food watch like four television shows a day, like we're all distracting ourselves and that is not necessarily healthier, right? Like, no, no, it's not. It's, I mean, and being a, living in a car centric, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, living in a car centric, uh, country also makes it very stressful out there. Like when I want, just want to ride my bike and back, you know, and this is maybe not unrelated or maybe it's related. I don't know, but just the world in general is a very difficult place with lots of bad habits, sugar included. And I mean, I have, I've dealt, I used to have an ice cream issue and um, I had to overcome that. I was making myself sick with it. And it was really, it was pretty disturbing and awful and really um, upsetting to me. And so, um, you know, and I lost a bunch of weight counting calories and cutting it all out. And that was great. But now I have rewired my brain. And now I look at every single piece of food with like a calorie count in it. And I'm trying to get rid of that. And so I keep going back and forth and back and forth on these things, trying to find, trying to find some sort of, I don't know that balance exists or, or maybe balance is just an, maybe it's a, um, a perpetual process of maybe it's, you know, I just have to always be working on that balance and never gets to just rest. It's always a struggle to balance my diet, to balance my fitness, to not be crazy about these things, to not be so judgmental <laughs> to myself, right? Mm -hmm. Don't shame myself. Yeah. I'm not playing that harm reduction has made me kinder to myself than anybody else. Right. Like, yeah not scientific. I know folks will say that like replacement addiction is not a real thing, but I believe that a lot of folks, this is, I mean, definitely not based in science, just my own life. Okay. Okay. That, like really noted. use substances that do different stuff. Like there are certain personality traits that I see frequently exhibited, right? Like uh, inability to put on like the blinders of life and like just move through, like being more vulnerable, being more touched by things. And sometimes folks that like feel all the stuff, like we really want 
relief for one and like surety and boundaries and like stuff right like it's easy to judge we want that kind of duality because it's so uncomfortable to feel like so stretched all the time like for everything to have a cognitive load is hard you know and forgetting is nice <laughs> like it's nice to put it down so we see this a lot in people who you know like come through some kind of treatment and take up running to a level where sometimes we're like mm, i mean if you're blowing out your knee every year like is that really great for you or like become vegan and only eat raw food like we'll take some other thing that will like distract their brain that will give them something that they can kind of fixate on um and do and that's all right like i've done both those things i'm currently in between podiatrists right now if that tells you anything so yeah. yes yeah and like folks will have one favorite treat like i'm like i've been doing this work for long enough to be like oh fixation is real and like that's maybe a yeah. need and i know it is for me so i just freaking name it and sometimes i just eat the ice cream because it's too hard to not and i don't want to fixate in that way either like i don't expect perfection from yeah. me or anyone who i relate to so there's like a softness around it um that I well, really I've, I've, I've gotten, I'm, I'm on frozen grapes now, so it's a little bit better, but still the, the fixation is there, right? It's this, it's sweet and it's cold. And I like to eat it when at night before bed, like yeah, it's, it's, and I see it all. I'm aware of it happening even in the moment. And I'm like, and that's, I guess that's fine. It's not horrible. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Right. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, are you like, I always ask my clients, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's a behavior. Like it's so weird to me to say other than behaviors that cause harm to others, which we should all agree we should move away from. Right. But yes. like if you're doing a thing, let's just get curious. Like, can we just remove the other stuff? Like, what is it serving? If it's a few grapes and it makes you feel better. Cool. Right. If you're like me and you move from regular ice cream to Nick's ice cream because it's only 150 calories a pint and then you eat a pint every day, like, is that really good? I don't know. Like, it's not just calories. It is the like, I'm now going to eat this whole thing. Like it becomes. See, and I did that too. When I was counting calories, I would be eating like um, cucumbers, celery and, and tomatoes and carrots all day long. So I could crush like three of those pints at night and still be in under my calorie count. And I was like, this is not good behavior, John. This is not healthy. This is obsessive and weird. And you should address this at some point, you know? So yeah, maybe without calling it obsessive and weird though, John. But okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. See, I mean, and I think for me, it's interesting for me. I do like a little bit of that. Maybe judgment is the wrong word, or maybe, maybe judgment is the right word. Maybe I don't need to do that at all, but a little bit of that, like, Hey man, you need to cut it out. Stop what you're doing. And, and, you know, tough love. I don't know, but. Sure. And that's a motivator. We know that, right? Like sharing right. something about a health behavior with our community will motivate us to stick with it. But there is a huge difference between like you deciding that's a tool that's useful for you and like all of society judging something that you're doing. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I do that. I mean, I'm competitive as hell. So I will make bets around things. Do I think that's like, should be a public health initiative? Probably no, like that's not, that's no. not, right? Like, so it's, I don't know, it's kind of tough, right? Cause what motivates us as individuals is different. The thing with mm -hmm. harm reduction to me and what will always stay my focus is it is social justice oriented. It keeps the people who are most impacted centered 
And it just helps me remember like that every human being has like dignity and worth and that I should be curious that I should ask before I tell, right? Like, and I think that's healing for those of us who work in healthcare, who do different things. Like I spend a lot of time talking about harm reduction and systems change too. Like how is our rigidity like in whatever work we do, like internal facing, like what are the things that make work hard in a medical profession? Oh, do you know what does not set up like a partnership is if all of your training tells you that you are the expert and that you were going to just tell this person what they need to do to be healthy and then if they don't do it in the 15 minutes that the UI has had like they're the problem right like and that's stressful not just for the patient but for the provider as well yeah it's a harm reduction where you sit in there you presume there's a reason for whatever behavior someone is engaging in and you partner with them to address the issue and then you're facing the issue like you aren't in opposition to each other um Mm -hmm. So I don't know, harm reduction softens everything to me and just gives me a different way of interacting with humans and just a different level of compassion. And really that starts with like just being a little more patient with me, right? So. I think that's what you just said, it softens it. And I think that that's really important too. I know as um, I was very hard on myself. I mean, I still am. Right. And, and wherever I got that from, probably my father, (laughs) like many of the other things that uh, I deal with and struggle with. And a lot of the other um, bad thoughts that I have about myself, but um, softening it has really helped me to um, it's just made it easier. Mm -hmm. You know, when I don't, when I'm not like uh, when I'm not, when not every single misstep has to be an abject failure life is a little bit easier Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. you know i've been so i haven't been running lately and i've been trying to lift weights and i fucking hate it it's just not my thing and i try to talk to people and i have a few text threads with people who are um you know just so i'm not annoying everyone with my fitness you know woes but and and the one woman says oh no the best part about about lifting is you can uh you can post those uh, post-workout selfies. And that was fine and fun. And I'll send her a picture of me flexing a muscle or something stupid like that. But um, I was just realizing the other day, like I was kind of feeling sore and I was like, hang on, you don't need to finish exactly what you said you were going to do because you don't need to hurt yourself like you did before Mm -hmm. out of some sort of thought that if you don't do exactly this much, then you're a failure. Mm -hmm. And so that long story short, like, oh, okay, so let's just stop right now and everything's going to be fine and you can still have a day and you can still say that you did something good today even though it wasn't this like, I'm going to do this every single day for the rest of the month and then somewhere on like the 11th day, everything falls apart and like we said before, you go, oh, screw it, it doesn't matter anymore. Everything's ruined. Everything's not ruined. I love it. It, whatever Again, you're not, not scientific, but I would bet the more you can kind of soften that stuff, the easier it becomes to not reach for a drink, right? Like I think yeah. that we really underplay like the shame spiral in our own behaviors and patterns too. Like what makes it easier? I know, like for me, when I stopped using so many drugs and drinking so heavily, um, 
it was so hard to be around humans because I didn't realize I was so freaking awkward and terrible. Like I used it so much as like a social lubricant Yeah, that was based on like self-judgment and I didn't want to misstep or sound stupid. And I've let go of a lot of that and it makes it easier to not need that tool. Right. So like, we just want to know what's driving us to the best of our abilities. We're humans. We're not that smart. Like we're not going to figure it all out. Um, no, but it's tough. Yeah. I do, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, I do think like before we run out of time, like two mm-hmm. things. Yes, please. That I think like are important to acknowledge is sometimes, um, I just want to like hold space for the fact that like those of us that have lost people associate because of the harms associated with use sometimes like harm reduction isn't it doesn't feel as safe as like an abstinence-based option because it's so squishy right so like I know for me I didn't come to harm reduction until unfortunately my dad had died my uncles like all these people in my family and my best friends um but one of my like points of resistance until like I figured out harm reduction just works better than a lot of other things, the researcher nerd in me. Um, but some of my resistance was just because like, I wanted a easier way to measure whether someone was okay or not okay. Like I didn't want to have to like sit in this gray area because it's so hard. It is so hard to love people and to watch them engage in things that you know harm them. So I don't like, harm reduction doesn't say there aren't harms. Like that's not, the fact that we don't focus on the substance, we focus on the behaviors and how we are able to help folks be better and whatever that means doesn't like mean that there aren't real impacts on people, right? So I just like to like build space for that. It's all right. I understand why people are challenged around this and why like some folks get really emotional and angry when I talk to them about harm reduction. It's hard. It's hard to lose people. We don't want to have it. We just don't want to do it. So I just always like to make space for that. Um, it's really freaking, it's a thing. It's crappy and harm reduction doesn't give you an easy answer. Like you don't know when you won, there's no measures, there's no anything. Like you're just kind of sitting there. Uh, there's no line, but, but it's not, but, but, but it's about, and it, it, it comes up in your paper a lot is the quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and asking people, I love the idea of like asking people, what are your goals and how rarely people's goals were, I want to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. And I imagine again, in my own head, from my own experience that, you know, once the alcohol kind of has takes hold of my brain, it's, it's, it's over and done with. But when you, I imagine when you ask somebody, well, one, you're engaging in somebody, you're interested in them, you're, you're, you're listening to them which is a huge thing. And then saying, Hey, what are your goals? What do you want to do? Do you want to, whether it be relationship, whether it be finding a place to live, whether it be the quality of life is the thing. And, um, that, that is, it's a different issue sometimes Then there's the addiction. And then there's all the other problems that, Oftentimes the addiction has been masking or covering up because all of these other problems are so damn difficult. And so I think that finding what somebody, what somebody wants in their quality of life is so important. And that almost dealing with their drinking 
is is not even it's not even the most important thing. It definitely needs to get out of the way for some folks, myself, for me to even look at the other problems, for me to even even fancy the notion that I could fix them with somebody else's help. I had to get alcohol out of the way. I had to get drugs out of the way. Um, but that they are two different things, and that when you engage somebody about their personal problems and you listen to them. They go, oh, okay, wow, this is kind of relieving. Oh, somebody cares. Oh, maybe I can go another hour or two without having a drink or using. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something hugely beneficial to that in harm reduction, quality of life, and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, I mean, that paper, like, and like, our reasons can be real different. And these are folks who have been impacted by so much stigma and have like, don't get the experience of people partnering with them really mm -hmm. ever, right? So a lot of those folks would start off saying like, oh yeah, my goal is to get sober because that's what they think we want to hear. <laughs> and then it would take a while to build that relationship and be like, no, like, what do you want to see for yourself? Cool. Also, given that you've been like, I mean, I didn't say this part, but you've been impacted by all this stuff. This is a big goal. Like, how can I help you like break that down? Like, what can we do this week, right? To like mm -hmm. do that, like, you want to go visit this family member? Okay, you need a bus pass to get a bus pass. You need an ID. Like we would break it down and make it kind of manageable. Um, and yeah, sometimes it had nothing to do with substances. But oftentimes we would see again the harms go down um, and use go down because it's just there's another focus. There's another thing, right? So yeah, and that's it. Like if we just do that, if we just help folks feel better. Like, does the other stuff matter as much? I do like to tease apart like the substance and whatever behaviors it is mm -hmm. in part. Cause the other thing that I think is important is like, try not to judge people who are using substances. Doesn't mean you don't get to have boundaries. Right. So like some folks behavior does change when they're engaging in use. Right. Like I know that was true for my own dad. I can love you. I can like understand that you do things for reasons. You're still not coming into my house and screaming in my face. I don't have to say that's about the drinking. I'm just saying that behavior is unacceptable. So we're not doing that, right? Like I don't have to condone you walking all over me just because I'm a harm reductionist. Like it's all right for me to protect my space and my relationships. And sometimes that means moving away from a relationship because it's just not, it's not good for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that can be another thing for a lot of us that have relied on substances for relief. We're not always super great at boundaries and knowing when it's important to kind of protect ourselves. So I just, it's all right to center you and to say like, yep, I understand you're doing this for reasons. I understand it serves a purpose. I hope you're getting what you need out of it here. If you ever want to kind of talk things through and this is not, this isn't going to be cool to me. Like you can't call me at 3am. I got a kid, man. Like it's, yeah. I'm like, there's yeah. just no thing. So no. the behavior decoupling, or what did you say to uh, tweezing out? Um, uh, two things on that. Uh, I had an ex-girlfriend that said something to me, uh, that I still remember. And she said, John, I don't care how much you drink. You just can't act like an asshole. And I was like, I didn't understand that. Right. At the, but it, it stuck in my head. And that was one of the things where I was like, Oh, 
it was, it was the behavior all the time. Now for me, those things were definitely, there were other stuff going on, but those were definitely connected because there was a, there was a point where I was, you know, fun and loose and then just like loud and boorish and awful. Right. And so don't there. And, 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 you know, it, again, it's not always the, um, it's not always the substance. Cause I, there was a period even earlier this year where I was, I got into Oreo cookies. I don't know why. I don't remember what it was, but I was going to like different convenience stores after work on certain days, kind of like, you know, you don't want the clerk to see you buy the bottle at the same, you know, every single night. And then I was like, I'm doing this with fucking cookies. Stop it. You know, like, I, I guess nuts, just stop it. But I recognize that behavior. And I said, I can't do this. This is just another way you're going to kill yourself slowly. Mm-hmm. Speaking of going back to sugar, but it, it is important that the substance be separate from, from that. We think about the substance separate from the behavior, mm-hmm. the behavior being the core issue. Yeah. And it gives us like a gentler path to, right? Like we've all seen and known what it is to try to negotiate that space. So if we know that we may have a reaction with say drinking, right? That like we have a hard time not engaging in certain behaviors, lots of bargaining. Well, okay, I'm gonna have one drink and then I'm gonna drink a glass of water. I'm gonna make sure that I eat. And for some folks that'll work and they can stop there, right? Mm-hmm. For other folks it won't. So then they'll try a different path and a different path. And for some of us, that means like, guess what? I can't drink tequila. Like it's just, it's not gonna work. And that's fine. But we got there by saying like, I don't wanna do this thing. This thing happens a lot when this thing is happening a lot. I'm going to try these different ways. And then I'm going to like end when the behavior that I'm trying to negotiate around ceases. Right. But like, we don't, we don't get into this like failure or not, or like clean or not. It's just trying to be the kind of person we want to be. And I think that's a big part of this too, is so many of us that have struggled with use patterns, whether it be ice cream or substance, other substances that aren't legal, um, have some history of trauma spectrum, right? But like, we just aren't used to kind of being gentle and like figuring it out as we go. And I really do think that that is a big, big part of what will help us like really feel healthy, like whole, right? Like being able to get up and take a different path the next day without sitting there in shame and spiraling and making it all kinds of messy. Um, so it's just, it makes sense to me. It's pragmatic. Like, I just don't want folks to waste time judging themselves when all they've done is been judged, right? Like they've been impacted by that. So like, it's not just the substance. Do I want you to have a better quality of life? I need you to get rid of that voice, you know? And like, that's, part of harm reduction too, is like, what's driving you to these behaviors? How can I support you uh, in doing well and like healing whatever trauma you're carrying? Um, And how are we going to work on the way that you talk and assess yourself, right? And your place in the world. Um, Which is why I think it's a, it tends to work better than abstinence-based treatment for folks who really are impacted by like those voices and traumas and challenges. Cause you can't, you can't really, you can't take away somebody's mechanism for doing better without giving them something else. Right. Like there's, we just have to do that. And some people just don't have the options. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I, I keep thinking softening, 
everything, making it a little bit softer. It doesn't have to be so absolutely aggressive and or, you know, um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but finite one way or the other. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And and again, I couldn't I couldn't imagine that for myself now, but gosh, I I probably could have used a lot more help than I than I than I got in the very beginning because I didn't really allow anybody to help me. It took a good six months before I really, and I was still sober, but I was just doing it by myself and hating every minute of it. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> it probably would have been a little easier. You're funny. I have to go in a minute, but like yeah. you keep saying, like you don't know if you could do this yourself, but everything you've said, like makes me think you are doing this for yourself, right? Like yeah. your quality of life, your well-being, the things you want to pursue, you've decided that like that is all done more easily if you're not using alcohol. Great. True. True. That's harm reduction. Like nobody's gonna harm reduction isn't making you drink. Like that's I'm not bringing No, no, no. Like, yes. It's just trying to sit there for a minute so that we don't stop at the behavior. Cause I think that's also like something I get nervous around when like we're just or not like when we're hyper focused on the actual substance and the use is we're not creating the space that we need to like do all the other stuff that improves yeah. our quality of life. Um, and some of that is just self-exploration and like understanding what drives us. So to me, you are doing harm reduction. It's not, I mean, some of my very favorite harm reductionists have not drank in a very long time because they've decided that like for them, that's not a step towards a higher quality of life. Like again, yeah. don't pretend that there aren't consequences to behaviors. It's just, like what is the benefit and what is the consequence and how are you weighing those? And then you get to move forward from there. So sobriety, well, count me in. not a post. Not nah, a post. Count me in as a harm reductionist. All right. Come and teach a writing group. <laughs> I would love to. You tell me, you tell me when I'll, I'll, I'll be up there. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, John. And listen, I'll hire you any day. Come on up. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. I'm, I'm serious now, maybe not here, but you know, yeah, I'll, I'll figure something out. Um, thank you again. This was awesome. It was great to catch up and thank you for sharing. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It was great to see you. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's chat soon. We will. All right, bye. bye. Thanks again for listening. Our music as always is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at a is for alcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>